0: Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's Speakeasy Chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the Cutting Wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guests tonight, one of which has been here before, have both been working in audiobook production at Random House and Penguin Random House for over a decade. Julie Wilson and Dan Zitt, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight.
1: Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah,
0: thanks for having us. Glad you could make it in. I know that, uh, Julie, we've been scheduling this uh, this second visit to the Speakeasy for you for, I think, about six months now because of some big changes going on at uh, Penguin Random House in the audiobook area and uh, development issues being what they are, something I'm very well versed in given my uh, previous IT experience. It uh, just hasn't worked out until now, but now it has, and I'm I'm glad we finally got you in here to talk about the changes.
1: Yes, as, as we, all three of us know, development takes often takes a lot longer than you would expect. So um, thanks for being patient with us. And I think we have something that's really special for everyone now. So oh, yeah, I'm no,
0: no problem. That's great. Uh, yeah, I remember when I was in uh, database design and administration way back in the day, one of my colleagues at one point said, when somebody gives you a project, what you need to do is look at how long you think it'll take, and then, uh, increase that number by three and then multiply by two. So if you think it's going to take you three days to finish, figure it'll take you six days and, uh, and then figure it'll take you uh, 12 or maybe it was the other way around, add two and multiply by three. I don't remember, but it was always much, much longer than you first anticipate.
1: Yes. That's, that's definitely what we've learned for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So this being a speakeasy, Julie, what are you drinking in the speakeasy tonight?
1: today, since it's about noon our time in the middle of the workday. That's, right, that's right. That's
0: right. That's I, right. I should actually let my listeners know. I, I don't normally do this. And the reason is because most of my interviews actually do happen right at about happy hour. But due to time change differences and uh, because of your schedule, this is actually taking place at noon on the East Coast and 9 a.m. here in Tucson.
1: Richard, I'm really excited that we got you just to start drinking first thing in the morning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if only you had been the first.
1: <laughs> I'm sure I been. Um, so yeah, I'm drinking a virgin mojito with um, mint from my garden and a little bit of ginger to give it a kick that alcohol usually gives it the kick. So yeah.
0: Nice. I uh, I love ginger and my wife loves a good mojito. So uh, that actually sounds like a good addition. Uh, what kind of rum are you using?
1: Um, I normally use a a Bacardi rum mostly because um, often during this time of the year when we aren't all physical distancing, I usually have a lot of rooftop parties. And for some reason, Bacardi is what always sticks around after those rooftop parties. So (laughs) if it was a little bit later in the day, I'd be tipping some of that into my drink.
0: Understood. Understood. Well, I will have to give that a shot. Add a little uh, ginger into, uh, into a mojito the next time I make one. Dan, how about you? What are you drinking tonight, today?
2: Well, uh, as Julie knows, I'm not afraid to take a sip midday, uh, of a nice little bourbon. So I decided to have just a very, very, very small, uh, straight up basil Hayden bourbon. Um, nice. Basil Hayden's kind a good of one. My, Yeah, this is kind of my go-to at my home bar. Uh, something I stocked up on right as quarantine began. So hopefully, uh, it lasts me through quarantine, but yeah, I am, uh, as I always say to Jules, like publishing and and starting back in the nineties and publishing, publishing runs on caffeine and bourbon. So, you know, <laughs> I'll just
0: consider this another one of those days. Makes me think of advertising in the Mad Men era. Absolutely. So Basil Hayden's a good one. Have you ever by any chance had uh, Basil Hayden's Dark Rye? I have, I actually have a bottle of it upstairs. It's quite I good. love that stuff. It's a great after dinner, you know, strong, not sweet drink. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I good. mean
2: anything that Basil Hayden releases I usually have uh, good good sitting, stuff sitting in my cabinet.
0: Yeah, Johnny Heller actually introduced me to that one and I was uh, very glad he did. Well,
2: I, I, as I know, Johnny Heller and I have uh, tipped a few bourbons ourselves together. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm we not, share the same interests.
0: I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, this being morning, as I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I have decided to have something that is a little more in line with a morning drink. So I am having a Soleil which I've never had before, but it's uh, it's uh, very similar to a very common morning or morning-ish drink, a mimosa. This is actually a mimosa, but instead of orange juice, it's made with pineapple juice.
2: Ooh. Ooh, that sounds really refreshing.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, so I had some pineapple juice on hand. I did not have any orange juice, and when I found this, I thought, that is what I'm going to have in the speakeasy on, uh, on the day that I talked to uh, Dan and Julie. So thank you guys both for coming in this morning. Cheers. Cheers to you.
1: Cheers.
0: All right. So, uh, so Julie, we have spoken in the e- Speakeasy before, and uh, so we went a little bit into your backstory then. So I would encourage anybody who's listening and who hasn't heard the episode yet but wants to know a little bit more about you to go back and listen to episode 19, because that's when we talked about how, uh, where you went to school and how you got into the audiobook world. But, Dan, we have not spoken before, so uh, why don't you let me know where are you from?
2: So I hail from West New York, New Jersey, which is literally if you walk to about 60th Street in Manhattan, walk over to the Hudson River, look directly across the river on top of the Palisades, uh, that's my neighborhood, oh, uh, nice. a couple of towns north of Hoboken, New Jersey.
0: Nice. We uh, When I went to APAC, uh, I think it was two or three years ago now, I'm not sure which one it was, we actually stayed up around 60th and uh, we walked over to the, to the park and uh, did have a good view over across the river.
2: Yeah, people don't usually know that that view uh, across to the New Jersey side is pretty impressive as well. It's a beautiful part of New Jersey, uh, just because you have the Palisades there. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely worth a, a look when you come come into Manhattan.
0: Yeah, and it was a real nice walk too. It's a, a very nice park that goes all along the river there. So had a good time. So, uh, so that's where you are from. Uh, did you grow up there the whole time? Stay in the whole New York area?
2: I did. I mean, I grew up staring at Manhattan from across the river. My high school was a block away from um, from the edge of the Palisades. So, you know, we were staring out the window looking at Manhattan all the time, Um, you know, just trying to get over here over to New York City as much as possible. So I always felt like Hudson County in New Jersey felt like another borough of Manhattan just because, you know, of our proximity. And, and, you know, it took 15 minutes in and out of the city if you if you jumped on a van or on a bus Mm -hmm. um, to get over there. So uh, did you go to school in that area? I did. I grew up in West New York. Um, I went to school uh, in a small state school in uh, Jersey City called New Jersey City University. And and part of that was because I really wanted to be close to Manhattan um, and stay close to the energy and just the city. It's a part, it, you know, the city is really a part of me. I've told, uh, you know, friends of mine, like I've, I've got the city tattooed on my body. It means a <laughs> lot to me. So even if, even if I left, this area, I would always take it with me. It's part of who I am. So, you know, I wanted to stay close by. I went to a small state school with the idea of always getting myself into Manhattan uh, after college.
0: Well, that's great. And so are you living in Manhattan now?
2: No. um, You know, we were living in a town called North Bergen, which is right next to uh, West New York. And when my wife and I had our our daughter, we decided we wanted to move to a place where we had a little bit more space. You know, when you grow up in apartments, and uh, I'm sure Julie can attest to this, even though she's still in Manhattan, you know, at some point you start to kind of feel like you've outgrown the space. Mm -hmm. Um, so once we had our daughter, we moved up to a a Northern New Jersey town called North Haldon, which is a little bit more suburban, a little bit more woodsy, but still within, you know, close proximity of New York and, you know, more urban areas that we were used to, uh, growing up in. So, um, that's where we are now. So it's,
0: it's not so far away that you can't commute into New York when commuting is actually an option.
2: Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. You know, it's funny. You know, I've been commuting since I've been in publishing since I'm 19 years old. So I've been commuting my entire life. So commutes never really bothered me, and it's also just a great place to listen to audiobooks and consume media. So yeah. you know, having a longer commute just gives me a little bit more time to listen to work um, that I want to listen to, and 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 really kind of like decompress when the workday's over. So I, I really don't mind the commute at all.
0: That's that's cool. Um, So publishing since you were 19. Wow. I mean, I don't know how old you are now, but it sounds like that's quite a while ago. So um, how did that happen so early?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm 44 now. I started in publishing. uh, It was kind of a you know, I kind of have an odd story when it comes to how I got into it. You know, I'm in college. I'm a sophomore. Um, I've kind of decided that, you know, what I want to do is be a writer. And, you know, so many people kind of say that. And, of course, you know, your mom is always the one on your shoulders saying, you know, if uh, you're going to do that, how are you going to make money? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Got to have something to fall back on. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm going to write. And she said, well, yeah, that's not really that easy. So maybe you should consider having a career while you're writing. And I said, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Um, And I had a connection at Penguin Books just in terms of someone who could kind of uh, introduce me to someone over there. And I ended up getting an internship at Penguin um, Books when I was 19. At some point, when they asked me where I wanted to be placed, I said, well, I want to be placed in editorial. I want to work with writers. You know, I feel like that's where I belong. And they put me in this very, very small department, which was an editor who was also managing the audio division at Penguin. Um, and at the time, the editor didn't really want anything to do with the audio thing. It was kind of uh, you know, a very small part of the of the publishing business at that point. Yeah. So but, this was
0: so based on the the numbers that you're talking about for your age, this would have been well before ACX and kind of the explosion oh, in the two thousands.
2: Absolutely. It was it was in the late night, it was in the, the mid to late nineties. And when I started there, I was I basically asked the the head of HR like, why are you putting me in the audio division? They said, well you DJ on the weekend so we think that's a good connection to audiobooks but I said well I'm, I said I'm not DJing Hemingway I'm DJing music um, but they put me in the audio division and for that uh, for half that summer I sat and worked there and listened to tons of audiobooks and I had listened to audiobooks but not at the level I was listening to them then and I fell in love with it because it was this hybrid between books and films and you know, in the audio division, you just had a lot more access to authors, even more so than some editors have to their authors. So, you know, I worked there for the summer and at the end of the summer, um, the editor at the time just said, listen, do you want to come work for me? And I said, well, I'm 19 years old and I'm in school. And he said, well, you can finish your degree at night. And one of the things I kind of always prided myself on is like, Looking at my situation and going, well, how can I move forward? And coming from a small state school and competing with people who went to Brown and Harvard and Yale, um, for me it was about, you know what? Let me get it there and and understand publishing from the ground up and hustle my way through this and eventually figure out how to get published. And that's how I started. I'm like, let me get into. It's a very New Jersey thing. Let me get inside the system, figure out how it works, sure, and yeah. then I can take advantage of it and get published. And then I realized I just kind of really loved audiobooks and producing audiobooks. So I kind of stuck with the audiobook thing. That's
0: great. Um, And so you've been focused on audio the whole time.
2: Yeah. I mean, when I started in audio, we were maybe doing 30 or 40 audiobooks a year uh, at Penguin. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) As as Julie would tell you, we're producing over 1,700 books. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, the industry has changed dramatically over that time and, yeah. but at the same time, it always goes back to one thing, which is, you know, great storytellers and great stories. And that's what I love about it.
0: Yeah. That's, that's fantastic that you've been involved on the publishing side for, uh, for so long. Um, and Julie, you, uh, I think we were, we were talking earlier before we started here that it's been uh, 13 years now that you've been working in audio. Is that right?
1: Yeah. What's always so funny is whenever Dan tells his story, there are so many funny parallels with his story and my story. It just, mine took place 10 years later. (laughs) So I started actually as an intern for Dan, uh, when I was a junior in college and that's when I had the same story. I was a writer. I'm still a writer. I'm still writing in my free time. And, um, I got introduced to the wonderful world of audiobooks. And at that time, I had listened to a few. I listened to Harry Potter. I listened to the Golden Compass series, which are two of still my favorite series. But audiobooks were still very new to me. And I also, I just fell in love with the world of audiobooks. I admired the producers then so much. And all I wanted was to be able to become one of them because they not only bridge the the gap with the hard teams and the writers and the authors, but they also were able to contribute their own part of the creative process. So um, when I was thinking about also becoming an editor and editorial, the thing that dissuaded me from that is that I didn't want to give all of my creative writing energy um, to other writers. I wanted to uh, keep some of that writing energy for myself so I could still do that in my free time. But I was able to give all this other creative energy and business entrepreneurship and all of this to the audiobook industry. And like Dan said, he, what, they were doing 30 something, 30 to 80, <laughs> something like that when he started. Well, I always say when I started, we were doing 200, to 300. So even from the time that he started to when I joined, you see this growth. So it's this interesting, you know, you look at the big picture between those two careers and you see really this Tremendous
0: arc. Okay, so you've both been working in audiobooks for a long time at, at some point, and somebody has the brilliant idea that you're going to create a database at Penguin Random House for narrators. How did that uh, How did that come about initially? And again, people can listen to uh, episode 19 and get a little more information from uh, from Julie's first interview. But but give me a real brief rundown of when that started.
2: So um, this all started several years ago when. You know, we kept collecting, you know, CDs and headshots and all this, and you know, agents were constantly emailing us, actors were emailing us about, you know, their actors and 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 their skills and everything else. And I started saying, you know, there has to be an easier way to kind of aggregate this information than just kind of like every time I want to look for someone who can do a French accent, making 15 phone calls, sending out 10 emails, searching through all the email I've received. So we started just simply with a very simple FileMaker database out in our L.A. studios where people would come in, they'd fill out kind of a form, and we'd keep it in this FileMaker database. And it became useful for us when we were searching for specific skill sets. I remember FileMaker
0: well as a database guy. That was one of the ones.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, our head of operations, Stu Dalton, built this really smart, simple kind of like what became kind of the structure for what Ahab would eventually become. And then what eventually happened was I said, you know what, if we're going to do this, I'm gonna walk down the hall. We've got three or four developers, and just say, "Do you guys want to try building a web page or a database where people can come and enter in data about themselves and make it searchable for producers?" Um, and it became, you know, one of these things that when we built it, we said, "Oh, this is useful." And then a week, you know, a couple months later, we're looking at it, and I said, "You know, this could be even better. Like, how can we build on this um, and make it much more useful for producers?" And I started talking to our publisher, Um, Julie, was brought on to start working more closely on the project. And we eventually decided that Penguin Random House decided that the future of our business is really being able to kind of like find actors on a a much larger scale than we are capable of now, just so we can serve our authors. So, you know, we talked about an investment model in it and we built what is uh, the kind of you know, what was the database and will now become something much, much larger. But it it really grew out of uh, a need for, you know, a much larger casting pool. And frankly, you know, something that's really important to us, which is kind of diversifying our casting pool. There's a lot of underserved acting communities out there um, that have no touch points with publishers, have no idea how to get into audiobooks. So we're really interested in kind of reaching a net out to the, you know, not just the, the, the centers of the entertainment world, New York and L.A. And now Atlanta is one of those, but around the world um, and reaching actors that really help, could help support the voices our authors are bringing forward.
0: That's great. And so when was it that Ahab uh, actually came into existence?
2: The database
0: version of it? Or well, the, the, when, when it was finally public facing and actors could create accounts and, and all that.
2: Oh, geez. It's got to be about four years ago. Okay, so That's not so not that long ago. What's that, Julie? Is it?
1: Oh, sorry, I was just agreeing with Dan. Yeah, that four years ago sounds right. Okay. Right. To me. Yeah. Yeah. It's still it's still fairly new, but it's evolved so tremendously since that time. And just as Dan was explaining over the course of the history of Ahab, um, our team is so good about being collaborative. So um, you know, it, it the origin story is you know we we needed to find a better way to find actors, and then it was putting all sorts of heads together, Dan's, mind to to create something that actually works well for everyone.
0: Yeah, and uh, and it does seem like there's a lot of information in there. I, I have an account, and so I've, I've been on there, and I've seen, and you actually do have a lot of information. But that kind of brings us then to current day, which is that there have been a lot of changes that have just been implemented. So what brought about the last... Whatever it is, six or twelve months' worth of development for all of these changes. And uh, give me a rundown of what what all is different now.
1: So how I always like to think about this is initially we created the database and the search tool. What it's been for the past four years is it's been a very highly catered search tool as well as um, actors have profiles on their samples and information about their bio and general skills and languages and accents and all this stuff. So it's been, a very effective search tool. But what we discovered is that we wanted to emulate more of our offline process online. Um, and so that includes sharing profiles with fellow producers so that, you know, if we're in the office as we normally are, we're always tossing around ideas. If I don't know who to cast, I might ask a few of the other producers and they'll throw out ideas. We always, we're always helping each other. Um, So we're able to share profiles. We're able to share lists of actors now. For instance, I love producing all genres of audiobooks, but especially young adult and middle grade books. And um, Dan the other day actually asked me for a list. I think it was young adult or middle grade guys, so people who couldn't voice those um, types of books. So I sent a list of actors his way, so that would help him on his search. Um, Some other features that we've launched are the audition tool, which allows actors to audition directly for producers via the platform. And that can either be what we're calling an open call audition or a private audition. And an open call is what you might see on another acting database um, that deals with other mediums. So anybody in the database can apply for it as long as the criteria. fits their voice um, or a private audition is if, you know, I think 3, 5, 10, however, not many number of actors are appropriate for a role, I can ask them to audition privately for me. Um, and there, there are many, there are many, many more features. There's a project management side of the site for content creators where I'm able to list, you know, my due dates the length of a recording, a description, the author name, title, um, how many roles I need to cast. Um, We're also able to share auditions and samples with stakeholders outside of the platform. And for us, that usually means authors. So um, at Penguin Random House, we're in touch with every author about every single recording. And so to talk to them about our vision for recording it often, means to share with them either voices or an idea of a voice, so this way we can quickly and easily really pitch the actors who are in the database to the people that need to approve these voices. Um, there's there's so many nuances to the new site, so I'm I'm really excited for people to get in there and get their hands dirty and ask questions and give us feedback so we can continue to make this into an ecosystem that works well for everyone.
0: Careful what you ask for when it comes to narrators. If you ask for feedback, you're probably going to get it.
1: And it's great,
0: honestly,
1: <laughs> positive and negative. It's what has made this tool already something that's been so useful for the PRH producers internally. I mean, we love that feedback because we can only see what we can see. And we've been so immersed in this process that sometimes you forget, oh, that part of the site actually isn't intuitive or, oh yeah, we could tweak that language to be more specific. So honestly, the more feedback, the better.
0: That's great. That's always always good to hear when uh, when people who have a tool like that are interested in hearing from the people who are trying to use it and uh, and want to improve it. So, so that's great. Where do you see it going? Where do you see Ahab going forward? Um, I know that there was uh, some talk someplace, I can't remember where now, about it being – um even more open as something that could be used in other genres than audiobooks uh, vo- other voiceover genres other than audiobooks or from people who aren't involved in a PRH project or something like that is that something that's on the table or uh, do you have specific plans going forward yet
2: so yeah. rich the thing that we're really excited about um and right now we're in beta beta internally at Penguin Random House but the plan in the next 2 to 3 months is to launch uh, a more robust site where um, content creators from all different forms of voice media are able to subscribe to the actual system and use it the way that we're using it internally. Um, So they would have access to thousands of profiles of actors. They'd be able to audition them across different um, verticals of voiceover. So things like uh, commercial voiceover, video games, uh, animation, things like that. And part of that was when we started building the site, you know the practical tools that we wanted to build for the audiobook division and for us, we said, you know, like this doesn't just work for us. it works for other types of voice uh, media. So perhaps we should build it out so that actors can add clips from all walks of life. you know um, One of the things in this new iteration of the site that we're excited about is just the idea that, yeah, it starts and the heart of it is an audiobook site. But if you have commercial demos, you can upload those to the site. And they don't kind of interfere with, you know, the people looking directly for audiobook things. You know, if you're a commercial uh, content creator, you can go on the site, search just for those samples. Um, So I think it gives actors a lot of opportunity to not only show their range across different mediums, but also gives them the opportunity to kind of like, you know what, I've never done animation. I'm going to create 10 clips that I can put on my profile that maybe someone that's seeking out uh, animation talent will find. So that's one thing we're really excited about. And, and of course, the next step is really to get it out there for other people in the publishing industry and other voice Um, industries to be able to subscribe and get on for for a price that's very low. I mean, we're not charging actors anything for this. You know, one of the things, you know, Julie tipped to is that as we built this every step of the way, we've brought all the stakeholders in and taken all their feedback into account. So we did a tour, you know, New York, LA, we talked to a lot of agents all over the U.S., overseas. Jules and I went up to Canada, spent a lot of time talking to agent, talent agents, we spend tons of time talking to actors about what their needs are, and then, of course, content creators and what their needs are. And we tried to build a system that works for everyone. So the hope is that um, if you're an actor in the Midwest that's never produced worked on an audiobook before, but you've done some cartoons or you've done some um, video game stuff, that you'd be able to upload a an audiobook sample and potentially end up doing audiobook work. So you know, we think the site is going to provide a lot more opportunity for actors uh in its next iteration as as much as we as, as soon as we roll it out to the rest of the world that
0: sounds very cool um it, it you mentioned the subscription and you also mentioned that it's free to actors this this almost sounds sort of like um the opposite of the pay to play sites that are out there which charge the actor slash uh, voice actor a subscription fee per, typically per year sometimes per month to upload demos and have access to auditions. And um, I I don't know how it works on the content creator side, but I believe producers, unless they go through a managed services department, don't have to pay. It sounds like this is more, here's a, a database where actors can sign up and if you're a content creator, you can pay to have access to all the information
2: there. Yeah, I mean, we I've been very passionate about this idea that if you're going to charge anyone anything for a service, there better be, it better be worth it. And I think, you know, a lot of other sites, they're built by engineers with no kind of transparency into what the industry is that they're building a site for. And that always worried me. Like we know, you know, I meet actors all the time. I spend time with actors that are just out of college talking to them about how you break into the audiobook industry. Like If you're fresh out of college, just like anyone in any industry, you're not running around with you know, $1,200 that you can send to a site that you might get work from. You know, that's just not the way that should work. The content creators are the people who actually are paying uh, to build content. They have enough money to pay you know, a subscription fee so that they can have access to a wealth of talent. I think it's really unfair to charge actors for access to a website um, where they can potentially get work um, or potentially not get work. I think if you're going to charge an actor for something, it better be worth it to the actor. Um, you know, and I, and I don't know that a lot of those sites really are are useful for actors. I see, I see how expensive some of them are. And I think it's just, you know, I, I think it's ludicrous, uh, for some actors to pay what they're paying to, to access some of those sites.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, uh, well, I have my own thoughts about the pay-to-play sites. I uh, jumped off, I think it was about three or four years now, and haven't looked back. Uh, and I'm I'm happy with that decision. That's not a judgment against anybody who chooses to run their business differently. But a lot of what you just said really resonates with me, and I'm sure with a lot of other people, about um, how that part of the industry seems to be a little backwards for some of us. So that's, that's all great to hear. Um, I understand that all of these changes just got released is that right
1: yes so um so our our launch date was supposed to be yesterday we had a few technical glitches so um some people might have noticed that we didn't launch until actually today so actually we're we're talking to you on launch day Um, again, as we've, as we figured out working closely with developers, sometimes there are technical hinky things that things don't work out exactly as you envision them. So, um, but yeah, sometimes, (laughs) but, um, I actually just checked our numbers and what happens is when you migrate data over to a new database, often it's in smaller time increments. So, um, Right now, we have uh, 2,000 people loaded onto the new site, and there are more people getting loaded on um, every single minute. So I'm excited to see that the migration is actually happening right now as we're talking. Oh, that's great. And what, it's, it's so great, and I'm so excited, especially because um, Dan and I have also been holding off on casting two of our books, so that's four books, to cast via this new platform, and two of the other producers I've spoken to within the past day, Sarah Jaffe and Aaron Blank, are also like chomping at the bit to start casting off of this new platform. So I'm excited to get those auditions or casting onto this new site and really, really begin. Um, so yeah, that'll be happening within the next few days.
2: Uh, very cool. I did uh, one of the things. Oh, sure. Go ahead, Dan. I, yeah, just I mean, one thing that we're really excited about, and we tip to the the audition platform a lot, and part of the reason. That we built this audition platform was two reasons one we think you know we're democratizing casting to some extent and letting people who never had an opportunity to, to even know about a job potentially get a job in the audiobook industry but you know the thing that i think is important for actors is in this industry specifically is that there's not a lot of auditions happening for audiobooks anymore and i think because of that um you know you're almost because of that sometimes it feels like you're cheating. It's kind of like you're just grabbing the guy who you know can do, you know, this this job, but maybe they're not always the best person for that book. And I think giving actors opportunity to audition more consistently in this industry will only, you know, allow them to get better. So and allow us to kind of like be able to cast a wider net of more talented actors. So I think the audition part of this is really important. It will it will I think people will come out of this um finding a little bit out a little bit more about themselves but also as they would if they were walking into an audition into a in a casting office or anywhere else. And and also about content creators finding out about actors they never knew uh were available to them. So so we're really excited about that part of this.
0: That's very cool. Um Yeah, I'm happy to hear all of that. I just got my email this morning uh, talking about the migration, and so I will certainly be logging in later to uh, take care of whatever steps I need to take care of. I'm sure that a lot of other people uh, have already done that by the time this episode airs, but but others who haven't will uh, certainly hear about it here. Um so let me ask you a little bit about I I'm I was happy to hear that uh you that Julie, you and other producers there at PRH uh, have already talked about wanting to use this new tool for the casting. Let me ask you about how AHAB has been used so far and how you're how you as a producer at PRH are planning on using it. One of the things that I've I've heard a few times is I created an Ahab account a long time ago, and I've never heard anything from PRH. So, how is it that it has been used? How often is it used? Um, in what ways do you guys use it? And uh, and how much?
1: Yeah, we we're using it very frequently. And one thing we forgot to mention is it's not just the PRH. U.S. producers. So we have now 14 audiobook producers in the U.S. We had 12 and we just brought on two junior producers who actually, similarly to Dan and me, um, grew up through the PRH system. We had Amber Beard, who was working in pre-production. She started as an assistant in our L.A. office. And then Molly Loray, who started um, kind of like I did under Amanda Cherno as her assistant. So we have 14 producers in the U.S. And now we also have um, PRH Canada and UK and um, India and Australia and uh, Spain and they're all using the platform as well. So what oh, I'll, I'll say really to cool. that is um, we have a lot of work. We have seventeen hundred books to cast, and as Dan always points to, some of those are multicast, some of those are full cast. So that's even more than seventeen hundred roles we have to cast. But at the same time, it's only seventeen hundred plus roles. So we, I always say that. Ahab is a tool as much as anything. So unfortunately, in the current climate we're in, it's harder to get face-to-face contact with producers. But I think going to APAC, going to mixers, going to meet and greets, um, uh, audiobooks, speed dating, all of these things to get yourself in front of producers are more important than ever. And it's also that every single book we cast, why Ahab's so helpful for us is we're looking for something very, very specific for every single role we cast. So unfortunately, I might meet someone who I know is incredibly talented, and it might take a few years for me to cast them, not because I'm not interested in casting them, but because that role just hasn't crossed my desk that they're absolutely right for.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. It's it's funny when you put it that way. 1,700 books, when you look at how the industry has changed over the past decade, that's a huge number. 1,700 books compared to the number of narrators who are out there who would like to do an audiobook, not such a big number. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. No, that makes which a lot of is sense. Part
1: of the,
2: which is part of the reason we really want to bring other content creators onto the site, because I feel like if we can get you know more and more content creators from around the world, on there producing books, you know, in this kind of um environment, you'll end up, you know, people will start to see the needle move. But you know, casting is casting, right? Like yeah. I mean, it's the same kind of thing in any any type of casting, even outside of voice casting, where you may go on 20 auditions, you may not get any of those jobs and a year later, you know, a casting director may go, you know, I saw you in an audition two years ago and I, I always kept you in the back of my mind. I have a gig for you. You know, so like it's a hustle, um, as entertainment always is. This is certainly not a silver bullet for every actor, but we do want to make sure that you know we're giving actors more opportunities than they had, uh, especially in the, in the audiobook industry.
0: Yeah, and I have heard those stories uh, in multiple voiceover genres, um, including audiobooks, where somebody will will say exactly that. I did this audition, never heard a word, and a year two two years later, somebody came came to me and and I said, well you know, w- w- how did you come to me? Why did you, f- were you looking specifically for something I can do? And he said, no, you auditioned for something, you know, a couple of years ago and I just remembered you. And so, you know, hearing those stories are good. Uh, it's it's that two years in between when you're still looking for the work, but um, but totally understandable with, uh, with the volume that, that is happening right now.
1: Well, and the truth is, and to the point of auditioning actors, sometimes I'll audition someone for a role who I think will be really right for it. And it turns out they're just not well suited for it. But they'll stand out, in my mind is really strongly suited for something else. So that's often why exactly that story of what you just told happens. Um, or, again, some, one of the other producers might be casting someone, and I'll have done that audition, so now I'm aware of that actor, so I can shuttle them their way. So it, there's a lot of organic process going on behind the scenes.
0: So, sounds like it. it. It does sound like it's uh, it's in quite a bit of use. So uh, so that's great. I'm looking forward to seeing the changes and uh, seeing how how it all shakes out. Anything else about uh, Ahab that you want to uh, let people know about right now?
1: I mean, there's so much. We've been so immersed in this. Like, I could talk about Ahab for ages. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I'm I'm really excited for this summer too. As much as I'm really psyched. For beta, um, so we're, we're calling this launch beta, and in the summer we're calling it MVP when we open it up to other content creators. Um, you know, I, I've talked to people in advertising who are like, "Wow, this site would be great for people casting in advertising." We've talked to people in video games and animation who they think it would be useful for. So again, I I, I really hope it becomes a site that helps people's careers in all areas of voiceover. Um, it was interesting when we first launched it, a lot of, um, season narrators we worked with before were a little hesitant to get onto it only because they're like, well, I work with you all the time. Why do I need to be on this? But when we're doing these very specific searches and auditions, it's, it's really proved to keep people alive and people in our minds. And also because there's so many details and nuances, um, to somebody's career and skill set in their profile, it really opens our eyes to other dimensions, um, of their of their skill set and of their work. So it's both allowing us to find new talent and also allowing us to learn more about talent we've worked with before. Um, so I've, I've talked to a- actors who, um, especially during the climate we're in um, of COVID, are, have been a little bit nervous about work and they're like, am I gonna stop getting work? And I'm like, I love working with you. You just keep up your talent and keep your profile up to date and keep in touch with us and that's, that's not gonna happen.
0: Yeah. Um, I know that that's a concern for a lot of people in this industry and just about any industry right now. So understandable. Um, you, you just made me think of something there. I know that uh, PRH, not entirely, but in large part, recorded in-house. And I assume that that's not happening right now. So this is a little bit separate from Ahab, but how have things changed in terms of how you guys are working with narrators and how do you see things going forward?
2: So, you know, obviously we have uh, recording studios in New York and L.A. We also work at a lot of commercial studios uh, across the country and around the world, depending on where our authors and the actors are. And once COVID hit, we decided, you know, it's safest for everyone to t- kind of uh, shut those facilities down. Um, and we kind of uh, adapted to a, a home studio model, which is what we've been in for Um, the last two months, and the producers, uh, luckily, we we were very lucky to have built Ahab for, um, to discover home narrators. And, you know, over the last, you know, we've worked with home narrators over the years, but we do like having control over our sound. We like working with directors in studio. We like um, just having consistency across every recording that we actually produce. And when you work in home studios, it gets increasingly more challenging to do that um, because now you're dealing with, you know, instead of uh, 10 studios that you built yourself, you're dealing with, uh, you know, hundreds of studios all around the country with all types of obstacles, whether it's, you know, birds chirping, kids yelling, <laughs> feisty neighbors. Yep. Um, but we have the infrastructure with our engineering team, uh, with our pre-production team to kind of build a system that works for us. And right now, We've taken all the best elements of what we think are our model, which is still still employing directors to be part of sessions, um, and using our engineering team to to kind of vet and work through uh, technical issues with some of the studios we're working in at home. But we have access now to you know I think over 2,500 uh, home studio narrators that we're really excited about, and we've been recording books this way uh, for the last two months now. I don't think that's going to be forever. I think we will probably um, pivot into a model that is our model back to our facilities. We still like working in our studios, um, but we do know so much more about home studio narration as well, and and you know we will rely a bit more on them as well as uh, just recording in our own studios. Um, you know, so this this experience sometimes you know change like this forces you to think differently about your model, but. You know, Penguin Random House is is pretty passionate about the foundation we built on quality with our own studios, and and I'm I'm excited, you know, eventually when it's safe and when we feel comfortable and when the the acting community and and directors feel comfortable to get back into those rooms, um, and I think I think we will, but I do think um, having the flexibility in this industry to pivot into home studio narration was, is a really big deal for publishing and for the audiobook industry. I mean, Julie and I did a, an Instagram Live thing a few weeks ago talking about Ahab. And, you know, we're really lucky. I mean, you know, if you're a stage actor and you don't uh, have access to the stage or auditioning for the stage, I mean, you know, this is a really challenging time. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason we're out there talking about this platform and talking about audiobooks is because you know this is the time when, if you've never thought of doing an audiobook, there is potentially a chance for you to get work doing this um, while uh, COVID uh, continues to kind of devastate the country. So, you know, we like I said, we will get back into our studios at some point, uh, but uh, at the moment, our model is kind of this hybrid model where you know we're working in in studios, but we're still working with directors, and we're we're still trying to keep uh, our quality very very high. It sounds
0: like what you just described, I think that a lot of producers of uh, all kinds of different voiceover work are probably going to have the same experience where they their model has always been everything is done here, now temporarily their model has to be everything is done outside of here and eventually it will probably sort of equalize and they will have learned a lot in this process and now they'll be doing a lot of stuff remotely but they're going to go back to having a lot of stuff, uh, in studio as well.
2: Yeah. And, and one of the things, you know, we always in our LA studio, I always love going out there and, and talking to actors and actors are for some publishers are just working in home studios. And for us, they, they get to come into our studio and actors that work in a small booth alone many days in a row, they want to come back. They mm-hmm. want to work in a facility they want to work with um, a director. They, you know, they 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 don't get it's an it's like being a writer. It's a very isolating thing when you're a home studio narrator, and that's primarily what you do. So I think you know, people, especially after this quarantine, I think there are going to be a lot of people who are like, yeah, I, I want to get out of this booth. I've been in this <laughs> booth for for three months or four months with nobody around. Um, so so we're hoping that we can get actors back into our into our studios and and really. You know, have a very safe approach to recording uh, after after COVID. Uh, the state homes are lifted.
1: Well, yeah. also, um, I mean, Dan kind of referred to this, but I also love going out to our LA studios. So in New York, it's a, it's a little bit more corporate in that we have um, a lot of our other teams that are a part of audio on the ground there. So we have marketing, we have publicity, we have. Sales, uh, we have managing ed, et cetera, et cetera, editorial. Um, but when you go out to our LA studios, it's it's all about the recordings, and we have post production out there. But that also is all about the recordings. Um, so the lunchroom in our LA studios are it's it's such a creative space where everyone is talking about characters and stories and what they're excited about, and um, it's a really special special place to visit. So I, even as a producer working in our offices or cubicles, it, it feels like a release to get out there and really talk about the creative process and be immersed in that.
0: That's cool. I I have heard many uh, comments from people who, for the first time, they went to PRH or they went to Brilliance or they went to Dion or wherever it was. And, and they're just so thrilled about the experience they had actually having a directed session in a, in a great, you know, up-to-date modern studio. Uh, so I, I could totally see that and, uh, and I could see why you would want to get back to, uh, that model at least, at least partially, uh, when, when, uh, COVID allows.
2: Well, I think also about, you know, related to that model. One of the things that we always have said is like, you don't want actors to have all of the burden all the time when you're recording a book. I mean, if you're recording, uh, you know, a Jeff Schauer book, that's 500 plus pages, uh, historical fiction, and there's, you know, 500 names in it. Um, I want actors thinking about performance. I want actors to be calm when they're sitting in the room, making sure that, you know, they have the support that they need when when they're recording. And, and directors help provide that support, and studios help provide that restore within, you know, with engineers. Just thinking about all the technical aspects. If you're an actor working in a home studio, you're doing triple duty: you're acting, you're directing, you're engineering your sessions. You know, that doesn't always make for the best possible uh, scenario uh, when you're recording a book. You know, I think actors just feel a little bit more relaxed when they have someone giving them feedback on performance and and not having to worry about, oh, did my stomach gurgle that time? I, maybe, maybe it did. Was that a fire truck? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, uh,
0: to- totally relate to that. Uh, it's definitely... Uh, it- it, it definitely can affect the performance, and whether it does or not, it's definitely exhausting <laughs> keeping all those, all those hats on at the same time. So uh, I'm, I'm assuming that I'm not the only one who got an email and that if you already – for the narrators who already have a profile on Ahab, they will get a similar email. For anybody who's new to the platform who hasn't signed up yet, where should they go to say, hey, I just heard about this Ahab thing, and I think that sounds like something I should do?
1: So you could head over to ahabtalent.com, uh, and you can just sign up there. And if you're an actor, you sign up for a talent account. If you're a content creator, well, we don't have you guys in the system yet, but come this summer we will. Um, and oh, the one thing we didn't mention is actually agent profiles. So, um, agents have been a huge part of this conversation as well. And we have wonderful working relationships with agents and we want to make sure that they're still a part of this conversation. So, through talking with them. Um, we are going to just, we're about to start working on creating agent profiles so that they have insight into their clients' profiles and, um, which of their clients are on the site as well. Um, but yeah, but you can head over to ahabtalent.com and sign right up there. Cool.
0: Um so is is that agents for both audiobooks and other voiceover genres or just other genres? Because I know that there are a lot of agents who don't have anything to do with audiobooks.
1: Yeah, it seems you know we we never want to get in between agents and actors, so it's whatever relationship they have with their talent. Um but yeah, voiceover agents of any kind who have actors on the profile, and they can designate whether or not they cover audiobook work, or if they just represent their clients for voiceover work. So, uh, an actor is able to specify that on their profile as well.
0: Okay, good to know. Uh, Ahab Talent. Okay, uh, so. Aside from signing up at Ahab, um, Dan, I know that Julie gave some good advice back on episode nineteen for narrators. What what words of wisdom would you have for aspiring narrators out there?
2: Oh wow, um, you know, one of the, I will tip to this as well because Jules, we haven't mentioned it, but one thing you will see on Ahab eventually is we've created uh, you know video resources, and we hope to kind of make that a robust, you know, the platform a m- more robust place for actors to go to learn about this industry. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, so there's gonna be some video content eventually surfacing on the site with uh, some of the best producers and narrators in the industry just talking about, you know, simple things about, you know, like how do you prepare for a session, for an audiobook session? You know, what are the things you don't wanna do? What are the things that you should think about uh, when you're auditioning? Things like that. So that is a place where you can learn. Um, you know, the thing that I would all, the, the advice I would always give people who want to begin uh, narrating audiobooks or even people who are actively doing it is to listen to as many audiobooks as you can by narrators that are well-established. Um, and you know, it's not to emulate their style, it's not to emulate anything, but every time you record an audiobook, you gain uh, another level of experience. And listening to someone like um, you know, Ed Herman, who's no longer with us, but was just a brilliant narrator, uh, reading an audiobook can really change your perspective on how you go into the studio and record. Um, I always am asked, like who would i who should I listen to to really kind of gain perspective on 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 performance and and pacing and things like that? And you know, I always tip to someone who, again, is no longer with us, but uh, the great Frank Muller, um, who mm. is one of the the first uh, audiobook narrators to really gain some prominence because of his work on Stephen King's books. Um, but there are some some really amazing um, actors out there who have recorded tons of content that you have to listen to and and listen to different genres. Listen to how people approach business books, how people t- approach uh, nonfiction and and other genres. And I think that can only help you in growing your skill set. Um, you know, the last thing I'll say about it is, you know, Julie mentioned uh, Harry Potter early on and listening to Harry Potter. and, you know, Everyone talks about Jim Dale's performance of that in the U.S. um, and why they love it because, you know, Jim did, I think it was like a a Guinness Book of World Records for the number of voices, distinct voices he did in that book. And although Jim was brilliant at those voices, the, the sheer brilliance of those audiobooks more than anything is the narrative and paying attention to all the cues that J.K. gave him in the text to be a great storyteller and his his ability to actually tell that story in a compelling way in between all of the, uh, the really great character voices. You know, always pay attention to narrative, always think about you know, am I being a good storyteller or am I just filling the space between the next wacky voice? Um, <laughs> you know? If you're, I, think, I think actors, and I, and I see this on Ahab a lot, um, where I look at an actor's profile and they've given me, you know, five clips where they're just talking about, you know, where it's just like, oh, this is my Russian accent, my Russian guy talking to a woman from Iceland, talking to a man from Canada. Uh, and I'm like, well, okay, but where's the narrative? Where's the storytelling? And that's the thing that I, that I would impress upon anyone who wants to be in the audiobook industry, uh, reading books consistently work on your narrative, work, work on your storytelling. And that's a great way to do it, uh, by listening to, um, really great narrators that are out there.
0: Sounds like great advice. I I do have a, a few favorites of my own and I know that most people listening do as well. Um, so this has been great. Thank you guys so much for, uh, for coming in and talking about all the changes to AHAB. I certainly hope it takes off the way that you are intending it to. It sounds great. It sounds like a great tool, not just for audiobooks, but going forward perhaps into a lot of different areas. So, um, so this, this is great. Julie, where can people find you if they want to look you up online and connect?
1: Sure. Um, I'm at Juliana and Wilson on Instagram or Twitter. So you can check me out there. I'm always posting about what we're up to on Ahab and any upcoming talks um, and other things. Yeah. And lots of gardening photos. So I hope you guys really appreciate butterflies and bees. If you come uh, check out my Instagram.
0: And I'm guessing there are some pictures of mint in there too.
1: Oh my God, I was just chewing on something. Like, i like, I hope he doesn't ask me to talk because I'm just munching on um, ginger and mint over here.
0: <laughs> That's great. Dan, how about you? Where can people find you if they want to connect? Oh,
2: I'm everywhere. Um, you can find me at danzit.com. That's just kind of like who I am. Um, but my Instagram's dan underscore zit. And uh, I'm on um, Twitter as well, um, at real danzit um, on Twitter. So. You know, Julia is much more active on social than I am, but I certainly connect with a lot of actors uh, on all of these platforms, um, you know. So reach out, don't be afraid. You know, one of the things that we always say at Penguin Random House is like, you know, there's there's a personal touch to what we do. Um, we're not making widgets here. This is a creative process, and we like to know the people that are in, are in our industry. I think if you uh, talk to actors around, they would tell you that, like, you know the Penguin Random House folks are always welcoming uh, and always want to talk about what's happening out there. And and quite honestly, if you want to just send send an email or send a, a message uh, via social and just ask us a simple question, or like, "Hey, can you look at my profile and just let me know what you think?" Um, you know, we might not get back right away, but eventually we will take a look and 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 give you feedback um, because we do think that although this is a business and although we're you know we're all. You know, trying to produce 1,700 audiobooks. Uh, this is also uh, a place where we like to get to know the people we're working with. So, so reach out. That sounds great. Uh, it it just highlights the
0: the things about this industry that I love. Uh, the personal connection that that's involved much more so than in other genres that I have seen and uh, of, of voiceover, and uh, much more so than in most other industries. So, um, so that sounds great. Thank you both for coming in. Uh, Dan, I hope that the Basil Hayden midday dram was just what you needed.
2: Well, I'm hoping to put away the bottle now, but I've got a few more hours of work, so I'm going to put it away until <laughs> 5, and then... We're having a little uh, Zoom meeting so we can celebrate our beta launch today. So I'll, I'll reopen it then.
0: <laughs> I see. When when you first said put away the bottle, I, I had a, a whole different idea. But um, but that's good. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm glad yeah. that you could have at least a little bit in the middle of the day. And uh, and I hope that that uh, mocktail that you were having there, Julie, is is good for you midday as well and that you can have a real one later for the launch party.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's all gone. All garnishes and all. It's (laughs) it's an empty glass now. (laughs) Well,
0: I will tell you, I'm a big fan of the Soleil. Uh, Next time I'm out for brunch, uh, who knows when that will be, but next time I'm out for brunch, I might just get one of those instead of a mimosa.
1: That sounds delicious. I might have to try one myself.
0: Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for coming in, guys. Really appreciate your time.
1: Thanks for having us, Rich. Thank
0: you, Rich. Appreciate it. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Julie Wilson for coming back in and to Dan Zitt for joining us. I was really happy to hear about all the changes to Penguin Random House's Ahab and about their vision for the tool going forward, and I hope you were too. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Podbean. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the Speakeasy. Until we see you here in the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! ¶¶